Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording from the room, What's the Health of Food Workers Worth? On this clubhouse, we unpack the labor shortage with human solutions and how restaurant jobs have always meant low wages, few benefits, toxic culture, with COVID risks further compounding the issues. Hope you guys enjoy. So let me just set the room real quick and, and thank you everybody. Welcome to what is the health of food workers worth. I want to make sure to announce we are recording this room so that everybody is aware this room will run for about an hour. And if we're vibing and uh, getting lots of value out of this, we might let it max out at an hour and 15, which should be around that time frame. Uh, and since we do record these, we want to make sure that this uh, conversation and especially resources that will get shared throughout this are, are evergreen and continue to bring value to people into the future. So Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern, uh, this will be on the Best Served Podcast on Anchor, on Apple, Google, wherever you get podcasts. So you can get uh, access to that there. And especially being able to link up to some of those resources is incredibly valuable as well. Yeah, I want to say uh, thanks to Lacey. And anybody here from the Hospitality and More Club, such a great group, and uh, thanks for hosting us here. And then, as always, hit that plus sign, ping people into the room. Anybody who needs to uh, be a part of this conversation, get, uh, get the learned information from the panelists, as well as we will uh, open up some hand-raising uh, throughout as well. So being able to ask very specific questions of this powerhouse of speakers up here. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So... The health of food workers. What is the health of food workers worth is such a daunting, big question, and it is mission critical for us in hospitality, food, beverage, restaurants, to be able to move into a model that is equitable, profitable, sustainable, and something we've struggled with. So I'm really excited. It's both inspiring and devastating to have these conversations because, well, you'll see as we go along. Uh, real quick run of show. We'll do very quick intros. I like to get all the speakers at least up to give their 40 seconds, uh, intros of themselves. So we kind of know who we're going to hear from throughout. We will, uh, hear from L Jarvis with in the weeds, kind of lay down the foundation of this conversation where we'll focus on physical, financial, mental health, and, and how that affects and the people of the hospitality industry and how we can kind of navigate that. So that's kind of what we'll get into. And uh, like I said, links to resources is going to be a valuable takeaway from this. So you'll be able to find that over on the, uh, the podcast channels as well. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that lays down the foundation of this. So want to have uh, each of the speakers again, take 40, 46 seconds Introduce yourself. Be great since we have people from all over knowing where you're at. Uh, I'll kind of go first. Jensen Cummings, uh, founder of uh, Best Served. We're a multifaceted support of the hospitality industry from shifting the narrative around food media to be more inclusive and include more voices across that culinary narrative. 
uh, focus a lot on education as well as a lot of strategy consulting work to really disrupt the models financially, the business models, the HR models that have led to this inequity in our system. So we're really trying to change that at the base, both from the from the business itself and the human impact uh, based out in Denver, Colorado. And want to pass it around. We'll just go kind of around the room here. Mercedes, if you want to jump in and give us your intro quick. Thank you, Jensen. Hello, everyone. My name is Mercedes. I'm a chef and health coach based out of New York City. Worked in hotels for many years. Was for a long during this time. And um, I can offer the perspective of someone who had been in a crazy industry and is also working on trying to help people find wellness, like a holistic approach to wellness. Um, I'm Mercedes and I'm done speaking. Holistic. We need that. The, the whole, the whole body. We, we um, call ourselves bodies and hands sometimes and we need to be a whole person. So appreciate that. Uh, Hassel, jump in and then L and Jeannie, just go ahead and jump right in and uh, introduce yourselves. Sure. Thank you. Um, so my name is Hassel Avilis, pronouns she, her, hers. I am coming to you from Toronto in Canada. I am a hospitality veteran over 22 years. I love this industry and also feel like I have a very complicated relationship with it. Um, and I lived with mental illness almost the entire time that I worked in the hospitality industry. And that led me to starting Not 9 to 5. Not 9 to 5 is a nonprofit global leader. We are an incorporated nonprofit organization. We focus on mental health advocacy for the food service and hospitality sector. And we do this through practical education, meaningful community building. And I really just see our work as reimagining the industry. That's it for me. Oh, I can go. Um... Hey, hey everyone, I'm Jeannie, I use she, her pronouns. I'm based on occupied Duwamish territory in Seattle, Washington. Um, I have been in the restaurant industry my whole life. My parents and grandparents immigrated to this country from China, or had Chinese restaurants on the East Coast. Um, I've been living in Seattle for the last 23 years, um, mostly managing fine dining restaurants. My last role was prior to the pandemic was director of operations and community engagements for Sea Creatures is Renee Erickson's restaurant group. We had 20 properties in the Seattle area. Post-pandemic, I started a restaurant coalition called Seattle Restaurants United. I've been advocating for 250 members in the Seattle area at a local level. At the federal level, I sit, uh, used to sit on the advisory board for the Independent Restaurant Coalition um, and was the co-chair of the policy committee. We wrote the Restaurants Act of 2020, and which became the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, which we're currently trying to get replenished. And for work, and the reason I'm on this call is I'm the national director for Ray's High Road Restaurants. We're a coalition of over a thousand restaurant owners and operators that prioritize race and gender equity in the restaurant industry with a specific focus on improving working conditions for our employees. It's really great to be here to chat with all of you. Hi, my name is Elle Jarvis, and Jeannie, that's not the only reason you're on this call. <laughs> um, I'm Elle Jarvis. I am the founder of In the Weeds, uh, which is a national 501c3 public charity. Um, I am based in Boston, Massachusetts. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I have been in the restaurant industry for 62% of my life. Uh, and pre-pandemic, I consulted uh, for big brands to activate for loyalty rewards in the culinary space. 
post-pandemic, I hopped back in the trenches uh, and I've been cooking for the past uh, 18 months to two, 18 months or so, um, doing private chefing and, and pop-ups and, and small parties. And why don't you go jump in? Oh, yourself. sorry. You know, this is my first, uh, I'm Ann Newman. I am located in Connecticut. I have lived here my entire life. This is my first clubhouse uh, attempt, so I'm getting around it okay. I have been a nurse and in the healthcare industry for 25 years and many different roles. I've worked in patient nursing. I've worked for patient advocacy groups. I currently work in patient advocacy for rare disease as well as drug development for rare diseases for a biotech startup. Um, I also am chairman of the board for the public health department in my area. So I've been a volunteer there for about 15 years and I now chair their board of a three sort of three large town district public health department. Um, I sit on the board for L uh, and in the weeds and we got to talking about how the industry of nursing and healthcare is very similar to the industry of hospitality. And so we're collaborating on making sure that we can help bring these two together and finding some resolves for what's going on in your industry. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. We need some outside perspective. We get kind of tunnel vision sometimes when you're, as Elle put it, in the trenches. Uh, Kat, jump in here. Tell us, uh, tell us who we're going to be hearing from out there in Baltimore. Hey, everybody. I'm Kat. I'm based in Baltimore, born and raised. I've been cooking for about 16 years professionally. Um, also an Air Force veteran where I did food service. I'm the founder of Just Call Me Chef, an organization all about highlighting Black female chefs. We have about 80 members nationwide, which is pretty cool. So we have people in New York, Miami, all the way to California, Baltimore, of course, all over. Um, and I'm also the co-owner of Our Time Kitchen, which I am a partner with my friend Kaya and we just bought a building, a three-story building that we are flipping into a uh, rentable kitchen space for women of color and uh, marginalized genders. Um, Pre-pandemic, I was doing catering, uh, working in fine dining. Post, I've been doing more private chefing, demos, teaching. Um, I'm on the board for the food project. Um, a nonprofit helping youth in Southwest Baltimore, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, buying a build, getting the building. Oh, that's both exciting and terrifying. I appreciate that for sure, Kat. Uh, all right, so want to have uh, Elle first take a few minutes to kind of lay down the foundation of this is in the weeds uh, mission to really foster the health financially, physically, mentally of people in the, across the hospitality industry. And so I want to kind of lay down that groundwork and then we're going to go to each of the speakers who, as, as you kind of heard, kind of have their area of expertise, their area of focus within kind of these, these three subsections in the work and life that they're living. Have them take a few minutes to, to break down kind of their work and, and the focus that they have right now. Uh, and then we're going to popcorn around a little bit as, uh, as I'm sure some very specific topics will emerge from this and then remember we will uh, open up hand raising so if you do have questions i will uh, prompt you to jump up on here on the stage and if right now you're listening on the recording of this on the podcast get over to clubhouse so that you can become a part of these conversations in real time that you can get very specific value for yourself uh, in the questions that you might have 
as this is such a complicated area and so many different tangents and where you live in, in the country across the world is going to affect that. So we want to bring you as much value as possible. All right, Elle, jump in here and uh, lay it down. Thank you, Jensen. So I'm the founder, L. Jarvis, of In the Weeds National 501c3 Public Charity. Our mission is to champion the physical, financial, and mental health of the hospitality professional. Um, I have been working on this project before the pandemic, and it just organically came to my front burner in March of 2020. And we wholeheartedly believe that the sustainability of a career in industry um, and the, the human experience of working in this industry is not going to be uh, fruitful for the long term unless all three of those buckets are full. So we greatly we're having trouble uh, we're having trouble hearing you with the uh, with the robots right now i'm not sure Elle, if you can hear me Hassel, can you jump in can you hear me okay i can hear you clearly unfortunately yeah Elle was cutting out damn robots that's what we say Elle, maybe see if you can reposition yourself and uh and we'll go at this again. You just jump in and, and interrupt at any time. You can lay some groundwork. We'll kind of uh, wag the dog here a little bit and, uh, and kind of jump in. Physical health being kind of the first uh, element that we want to focus on. We know how incredibly physically demanding restaurant work is. And, and if anybody doesn't know, now you know. It is one of the hardest jobs. It's both physically and emotionally draining to say the least. So I wanted to maybe start with, uh, with physical, uh, L let's, let's try it again. I see you're back. I'm back. Can you hear me? Yes. Let's, okay. uh, let's have you jump right back in. I was, I was just waiting water just for you to come back, but jump back in. Great. I'm back. It's a blessing and the curse of living at the beach. Um, so I don't know where you, I lost you, but In the Weeds is a national 501c3 public charity. Our mission is to champion the physical, financial, and mental health of the hospitality professional. This was a project that I was working on pre-pandemic that obviously was organically pushed to the front burner in March of 2020. So we wholeheartedly believe in collaboration over competition to be able to fill all three of those buckets so the hospitality professional has a good chance of a sustainable work-life balance working in our industry. So we have spent the last year, we got our, uh, we were incorporated in uh, October of 2020. We spent the last year just fostering relationships at a national level to understand what lanes other organizations were um, able to support and educated and again, that word sustainable, I think we use a lot in cooking and restaurants, but it, it definitely can translate to our lives as well uh, to be able to do this together because we know that we can't, while we know that we can do anything, we know we can't do everything alone. So I'm very humbled with the voices that are in this room right now and looking forward to diving into this conversation. All right. So what I was kind of jumping into to start with physical health a little bit and and Kat, I wanted to come to you. I kind of alluded to it and talking about the hard work of, of being in the kitchen 
I uh, wanted to, to to start with you a little bit. You know, like let's talk through it a little bit. What are the what are the things that you wish that you had more of, or that you're working towards more of in the kitchen? I know for me, if I had figured out physical, financial, and mental health, I wouldn't have burned out after 15 years. I might still be able to be in the kitchen, but it's just it it wears you down. It grinds you down. So a lot of it's self-inflicted. So maybe jump in and give us some context for your thoughts on, on physical health. How can we support that for restaurant workers? You're right. Like it definitely does wear you down. It's worn me down. And I swore to myself, I will never go back to restaurants. Like life is too good as a private chef and culinary instructor. So I don't think I'll ever step foot in a restaurant again, unless it's possibly my own. Um, I'm, I still have flashbacks to when I opened up a restaurant here inside the casino in Baltimore. And for, I swear, two straight months, I think I worked 14 to 16 hour days straight, no days off. I was the sous chef there and it was just nuts. I mean, I was incredibly tired. I didn't get to see my kids, my family, my sleep was off. every, everything hurt. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that out still because the kitchen is, um, I don't know. And they don't prepare you for this kind of thing. Like in culinary school, like true kitchen culture, what it's like, like your body is going to take a beating. Like I'm looking at my arms, looking at all the burn marks on there, like callus from your hands, just knifing, chopping things up all day. Me being small, five, two, trying to lift big, heavy stock pots, things like that. And I would try because I'm like a woman and they're already looking at you as being weaker, right? So I'm just like, I'm not going to ask for any help. I'm struggling trying to lift these things or reach things that are taller than I can reach, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I don't know, but I definitely know what you mean when you say the burnout because I felt it just working too. The, the days are way too long. And it's just so physically demanding on your body. Yeah. And it's, if you show any signs of weakness, you can't hack it. And, and we feel like there's this immense pressure, let alone the, the work being so I, incredibly Yeah, I had a chef tell me, yeah, I had a chef tell me that. I was like, chef, I haven't seen my kids in so long. He was like, well, maybe you shouldn't be a chef then. And I'm just like, whoa, really? <laughs> That's where we're at. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to, we're have to change. One, yeah. one of the things that I see with that, uh, and Anne, I want to come to you next, uh, since you have the experience in the nursing side, is we all, so many of us come into this industry very young. You know, the 15, 16, I was 17 years old, and we never lose that. It's a first job. It's an entry point. It's a very transient. It's like you can work these kids to the bone because they're young and they can handle it. But what happens when you do have kids? What happens when you're 32 years old and you've been nose to the grindstone for, for 12 years, 15 years, and then there is no sustainability. There's no longevity in this industry, something we need to grapple with. And when you know 30% of the industry is 21 and younger, 60% is 30 and younger, we're wondering why we have a quote-unquote labor shortage is because kids these days recognize that that's a toxic environment that they want nothing to do with. And nobody over 40 can, can sustain that life in the kitchen anymore. So we're having to really, really grapple with that. Uh, and jump in here. Give us some outside perspective. Physical health. I mean, your, your industry, nursing, unbelievably physically challenging as well, especially through COVID times, for sure. We've seen that play out. But are there, are there remedies? Are there things that's worked in, in the industry of, of nursing that we might be able to learn from in restaurants? 
You know, I, as I listen to everyone's stories and I talked with Elle about this a great deal, there's so many similarities, right? When I was younger and I was at first a nurse in the hospital, we worked, you know, 12 hour overnight shifts. You know, you work constantly, you work overtime, you work double shifts, you're on your feet all the time. Um, and so I understand the physicalness of your job for sure. And, you know, just like Kat, I swear I'll never go back to inpatient nursing again because now I work with, you know, in a private sector where I have more work-life balance. But I think in both industries, we don't do a good job of this, right? Um, reaching out to some of my colleagues and talking about how do we withstand this? Because nurses do stay in their jobs for 30 years, right? And then they're, they're unhealthy. And so there are lots of different things that we talk about in the healthcare field to to improve our physical health, do we do a good job at taking care of ourselves and doing those things? No. And I think that that's why um, this particular project is so important to me because marrying these two, these two worlds, I think we can really come up with some of the things that can help people withstand the job that they love, right? I love being a nurse. It's who I am in my entire life. That's why I stay so busy in the public health arena because it is my first love. Um, but it's not sustainable when you can't see your family or my kids. I can remember, you know, being a nurse on the night shift and I was pregnant with my first child and I still had three months to go, but I couldn't stand on my feet any longer. I just couldn't do bedside nursing and had to go out on short-term disability, which is one of the things that I'm very grateful for. And I understand that as nurses, we are as healthcare workers, we have health benefits for which I can do that with. Um, and which is another reason why I'm so passionate with Elle at this project, because that was really helpful for me, right? I could, I could rely on those things. I could get childcare through my hospital. I could get short-term disability when I couldn't stand being pregnant, you know, at only five months. Um, so I think that there are lots of things that we can learn from one another, and I'm happy to be involved in this. Yeah, and I want to come back to you. I want, want you to to give us some insights there because we're so new to health benefits. It's, it's foreign language to us completely. Uh, and even places that are trying to offer us struggling because we don't have history to understand what a good <laughs> benefits package, what a good health dental vision package looks like. And so a lot of times we're going for the bare minimum to say that we are doing it, yet we're not actually investing the, the needs of, for the, the business itself and for its individuals. So I want to come back because I, I, I think it'll, it'll weave in a little bit when we start getting really practical on what are the programs that we want to be looking at. Uh, uh, L, I see you unmuting your microphone. You want to jump in? Yeah, and I think that is part of the, the biggest um, lane that In the Weeds is staying in right now is I when Clubhouse first started and I jumped in, I somebody said, let your mess be your message, and I wrote it down, and I've had it on my bathroom mirror and um, I, like a lot of other consultants uh, in this space in 2020, my entire calendar was wiped out and all my contracts were canceled, which meant that I couldn't afford to pay for my own self-employment health insurance any longer. And I was lucky enough to be in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which has an amazing um low cost, no cost healthcare program. And having those conversations with them through in the weeds, I was able to get myself covered. So I didn't have a lapse in mental 
my, with my therapist. I got three, 30 free rounds of acupuncture and all of these amenities um, through government subsidized healthcare. So those are conversations that we're having nat- nationally with other state marketplaces, um, which is an interesting avenue for not only small business owners, but individuals, because the way that they structure um, their fee fees is based on income and not hours. So historically, if you have part-time employees, even if you do offer health care, they won't qualify for your plan because they don't hit a certain amount of hours. So there are a lot of resources on In the Weeds right now um, on our website in the states that we are registered on to get access to your, your health marketplace um, and be able to get on low-cost, no-cost care. And which states are those? And we'll make sure and link these up again in the recording on the on the Best Serve podcast platform. You'll be able to find these links. Uh, what are the states that you all are registered in? Sure. We're in Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, Tennessee, Colorado, and California right now. Um, and we have about 15 states behind that that we will register in um, after October 16th, 2020, uh, after October 16th of this year. Um, we'll be registering in about 15 more states. Perfect. And I, I really love that you all call it the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It makes it feel like you're in a completely different country. <laughs> uh, Mercedes, I wanted to, to pop over to you. Uh, you mentioned the holistic approach. You're very much thinking about uh, health and nutrition, something that oh, we are the absolute worst at. The amount of meals that chefs, restaurant people have eaten cold standing up over a trash can is just laughable. It's a, it's a meme on top of a meme at this point. Talk to us a little bit. Do you see ways that we might be able to, to support the physical health of those working in restaurants before it's too late, before we get burnt out, before we, uh, we have health issues? Anything you see there? Any breakthroughs you might share with us? Yes. Thanks, Jensen. Um, I see it all. The, well, in New York, I see Um, groups of people in the kitchen like I worked in hotel kitchens so um, we had the benefit of having benefits and um, you know people take pride in working long hours but they also take pride in like doing marathons or you know um, doing physical activity so I think a, a group of us would work out together or do runs together like I think getting a group together in the kitchen to do something fun, like training for like a marathon or for a race is helpful. It also builds community, but also like being accountable to each other for what you eat. That happened a lot in our kitchen. Like we would create a, like a family meal for all of us, but try to think of how nourishing it was for us. And there's other times where we weren't perfect. And at the end of a service, we'd be having burgers and other things, but um, it's just, I guess, creating that environment not every kitchen's going to do it because I've worked in kitchens that have horrible cultures in them. But I think if you like develop a relationship as a team to focus on, you know, helping each other with, I think having an accountability partner for it usually is the way that it works best. And it's, you know, bringing every meeting people where they're at, right? Like no one's just going to, you know, stop eating crappy food, you know, like maybe just, you know, incorporating like a big salad at the end. We've done that too in the kitchen where, you know, we've made like a big salad or like a smoothie at the end of the night instead of like the greasy burgers. Um, I'm Mercedes and I'm done speaking. I was really 
feeling bad about myself, Mercedes. I was like, God, you were training for marathons and like working out together. The, the only thing I remember from restaurants that we would do is we'd go play kickball, except you had to have a beer in your hand at all times playing kickball. So uh, I think being able to shift the expectation that you can do things together that don't need to lead to the debauchery that this industry is known for. Like we don't have to stay on that, on that path. That vicious cycle, I think, is I think is pretty important, uh, and that accountability piece. I definitely want to follow up on that. I think being able to have accountability groups within restaurants support each other. You know, we're coming up into I see messages going around about sober October, things like that. We need to make that stuff cool. We're really good at making food cool, drinks cool. Like it's one of the things that we do really well in restaurants. Is like we're so good at hyping up the things we believe in. Fortunately, we just have spent no time and effort on these, so I can I definitely appreciate that. Uh, Jeannie Hassell, I know we're going to talk a lot, Jeannie, with you financial, because that's one of your focus. Hassell, obviously, our maven of all things mental health. But we want to give you an opportunity to jump in. I know both of you have tons of experience with the potential lack thereof of physical health support. Anything you want to add to that piece before we jump onto the next topic? Sure. I I think it's really important to also you know, understand the connection between physical health and mental health. Um, in the, in terms of the physical health focus, though, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in this industry is that so many um, harmful habits have become normalized and oftentimes even glamorized or encouraged. Obviously, you touched on substance use, Jensen, and that fully impacts your mental and physical health. Um, but beyond that too, I wanted to touch on one thing that I heard um, get thrown around the word burnout. So I think oftentimes burnout is uh, confused with chronic and prolonged stress. And I think one thing that I've learned about burnout in the last couple of years um, in developing a lot of content for our industry is that burnout has a lot to do with also um, the balance of output versus support. So what that means is you can work a lot, you can contribute to your work environment and be, you know, productive and, and put in a lot of time and not get burnt out um, in certain environments where you feel you know, you're being supported and you have certain mentorship available. In other environments where you lack adequate compensation, appreciation, guidance, um, where there's not a lot of clarity on what your role is and what your responsibilities are, whatever the role is, um, that contributes to burnout. There's a lot of um, your experience, your emotional experience that contributes to burnout as well, the environment and the culture that you work in, you know, if you feel like you're contributing and you have a sense of connectedness and well-being and belonging, that can actually work as prevention to burnout. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that a bit because it's something I've learned in the last couple of years and understanding that that word is very different than physical exhaustion or, or you know, chronic stress. Um, I think is a really important thing to consider for your physical health and then obviously your mental health as well. The other thing is, you know, I think in our industry, we, we like there's that famous quote, like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I just think that's so toxic and so dangerous. Um, and it's just not true for our industry. We all have passion and drive. If you work in hospitality and restaurants, um, you have passion and drive. 
but it comes at a high cost, you know, to our physical and mental health, especially if we're not taking care of ourselves. And so often we're, again, going back to the output, um, we're just unbalanced in our output uh, versus support. And that support includes how we support ourselves. And I know a few of you already touched on, you know, taking care of yourself, taking breaks, time for nourishment, getting enough rest, all of those things, you know, are so, 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 so important. And particularly if you're in a leadership position, if you have a team under you and people that you influence around you, um, it's so important to normalize and role model all of those things. And, you know, in the same way that so many people that have high performance jobs like athletes, they take care of their bodies and their minds. It's something that we really need to work towards in normalizing in this industry um, and understanding that there's fatal consequences to not doing this. You know, it's not just about gaining weight or having, you know, back pain. Um, when you ignore your body decade after decade, it finds a way to get back um, you know, to fight back and to get your attention. And, you know, so many of these things relate to prevention and harm reduction. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to add that part about burnout because I think it's a really important distinction to make and to understand. That's it. Yeah, I appreciate you you finishing up with the the athlete side of it. Not that, not that we're athletes, uh, yet you're investing in your instrument and so much of the instrument of hospitality professionals is the physicality of it, their, their ability to, to taste and use their senses in a meaningful and impactful way. And as you dull those senses, you lose one of the most valuable instruments that you have. So can definitely appreciate that. Uh, Jeannie, anything to, to finish up physical? Otherwise, I wanted to kind of lead off the, the financial health aspects, since that's obviously such a major part of your work. So please jump in either to, uh, to put a bow in, in physical uh, or jump right into financial. Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, I, I was going to say what Hassel said is essentially like they're, they're not inextricable from each other. You know, if you're talking about physical and mental health, you're also talking about financial health. You can't have one without the other. They're, you know, they're all tethered together. So, you know, talking about financial health, you know, how it ties into physical health is, you know, someone touched on it, which is like health insurance, you know, if we're talking about places that can offer it, you know, if that that's wonderful, but a lot of places can't, you know, because these are small business owners, and then the coverage that they can afford to get for their employees isn't being used by their employees, because they're either being paid too little that they, they don't feel like they can meet the deductible to, you know, see a doctor, or they just decide, even though that they're um, employer is paying 50% that they can't, they'd rather keep that money um, for, because they need it to pay their bills or feed their families versus getting themselves their own health insurance. So I think like that's all tied together. You know, when we think about, you know, and I think about, you know, trying to think through what we were going to talk about today, you know, the question was, what's the health of food workers worth? You know, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just even funny that we have to ask ourselves that question, you know, obviously from a humanistic point of view, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's worth its weight in gold, if that's, you know, in capitalist society, how we're going to quantify someone's worth, you know, the health of our workers is the most important thing that we could care for, because 
at the end of the day, no, there's a reason that we employ prior to the pandemic almost 14 million people. It's because our industry is labor intensive. Our product does not happen without people, you know? And so the, the health of our people is, is, should be at the top of everyone's list of what we're caring for and what we're valuing in our restaurant and what we're prioritizing. I can tell you what, you know, in our work, what the health of foods worker is, or the health of food workers is not, is that in this country, I know that your clubhouse is international, but in our country, we tell our employees that they are worth as little as $2.13 an hour or $7.25 an hour, you know, and how is that even a thing when we're talking about, you know, how we're how we're talking about the finances of our workers and how we compensate them. Too often, I think that what I'm really grateful for is on this panel is that there's people that are coming from really diverse backgrounds. But too often, when we look at our country and think about the you know food workers, we we glamorize it and we think about these celebrity chefs and James Beard Award winners and Michelin star places and all this and that. And the reality is, is that's not the majority of restaurant workers. And so to and that it's so when we think about that and you look at the statistics that come out of our country is that the Department of Labor publishes every single year the 10 lowest paying jobs in the country, the 10 lowest paying jobs, seven of them come from the food sector, seven of them every year, we have seven of the lowest paying jobs in our country. So how can we have the highest employment fastest growing prior to the pandemic industry, employing people and have the seven lowest paying jobs. How can we say that we value our workers and their health and their well-being? I think that's what I have to say about our, about finances there. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think part of that feeds back into what I was saying. Like we, It's like we never grow up from the 16 or 17 year old kid who's the first job and they're hungry and they're still living with their parents on mom and dad's insurance. But well, that runs out at 25. What happens next? And it's like we never move beyond that aspect. Uh, and we stay perpetually in that mindset. And the business model as a whole has has stayed there. It's never evolved past that into looking at people as true professionals. So, yeah, it's, we have a serious, serious work to do. And, uh, and yeah, Elle, please jump yeah, so Jeannie has been one of my like favorite people that I've met through this pandemic. Um, again, I think we met on the internet and just started fostering a relationship and we were able to see each other in Chicago. And um, I think probably three or four months ago, I think I was watching CNN and it was I just texted her. I was like, can you talk? I just need to scream at somebody for a second. And we both were just sort of at this point where like, we don't want to talk about reimagining the industry anymore as it comes to bridging the wage gap and a living wage. We know what needs to happen. We, we have the blueprint, we have the data. So I would love Jeannie, if you could take a second to sort of dive in a little bit with some, you know, proof of concepts or success stories for independent restaurants that have raised, you know, $15 $15 an hour with tips on top share between the whole house because a lot of the media that we're seeing right now is that it can't be done, but we know that it can be um, because the work that Jeannie is doing is proof that, that it, it does work and it actually um, greatly impacts the profit of the independent restaurant as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so there's a few, so there's seven states in our country that don't rely on the sub-minimum wage, um, which is the, the $2.13. So in, our, in 43 
states in the country, um, you can pay as low as $2.13 an hour because the theory is, is that the tips will bring you up to the full minimum wage of the whopping $7.25. So obviously we work with a lot of small independent restaurant owners that think that that's, you know, is not a living wage and they want to pay their employees more. Actually, I just spoke to three restaurant owners today. They have a small business in West Virginia and they pay all of their employees, you know, $10 an hour and then they redistribute the tips. And the point of that is two, right? Two is, is twofold. One is to um, increase the floor for those folks that are live, working in the casual restaurant. So the tipped restaurant workers in the front of the house who have to endure all sorts of inappropriate customer behavior that that affect their physical health and mental health. Um, and, um, you know, because of those unstable wages of the $2.13, they have to tolerate all this inappropriate behavior because the tips are actually what feeds their families. So when all of these folks are paid a full livable wage of, you know, a full minimum wage, and then that allows, so that protects them, that, that provides them a stable income. And then they're um, so that takes care of the people at the floor, those casual, you know, waiters and waitresses or servers at, at those restaurants and kind of the fine dining restaurants where we know that the wage um, um, disparity between the front and back of the house. So in kind of the finer dining restaurants, we see the wage disparity in the back of the house where one more people of color work in those establishments. And um, the wage gap is so great that if you, what we made into law in 2018 is if you pay everyone a full minimum wage with tips on top, then you can redistribute that those tips with the front and back of the house. And what ends up happening as Elle suggested is it's a, more of a unity between the front and back of the house where everybody is working together to provide the best customer service. You know, if it's a Friday night and the line cook knows that they have, you know, um, a, 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 you know, a piece of the pie at the end of that, that guest has a good experience. They in turn are going to tip higher and have an, um, increase their wages for that evening, gives them opportunity to push through rather than have, you know, your servers walking home with hundreds of dollars at the end of the night and the line cook still living on their, their sub minimum wage and talking of finance a lot. I mean, I can't tell you how many kitchen employees I talk to that rely on overtime to, to make their paychecks. To, to pay their bills. So they know that they can't, they can't, they can't live alone on just the 40 hours a week. They have to count on the overtime, you know, attributing to that burnout that everybody was talking about. And what we've seen is really successful models with these business owners that are paying high livable wages um, with tips on top. And, um, it, you know, in turn, if you have a happier staff, I mean, we're talking about the business model, if you have a happier staff, um, they're going to stay longer, so you don't have high turnover rates. They have a more positive attitude. They're going to be more excited to be there and sell the things that are in your restaurant. If they're having a good time. Your guests are going to come back. Your more more people are going to be in your restaurant. So it really is a win-win. When we take care of our people, they take care of our guests, and that takes care of your business. Yeah, they're easily the most valuable asset that a business has is is people. Absolutely. And we're in the relationship business. It's a very unique business. And the most important relationship is the one that touches every part of your product, every part of your service, every part of the experience, which is the people. And we get so caught up in direct labor. Yes, it's a big number on the P&L. It's a big number when you're looking at direct labor being the, you know, the highest cost. But the cost of, of turnover, of lack of productivity because of extreme exhaustion, because of these factors that we've been talking about, that's what costs restaurants more than anything. So when we're talking about the financial health of the individual feeding directly to the bottom line of the financial health of the business, I, I see no difference 
in your ability to invest in one versus investing in in equipment or fucking light fixtures reclaimed from the Titanic because they look cool and cost $2,000 a piece. So we have to really shift those priorities. Uh, Kat, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're, you've got a space now. Like you're, you might be looking at doing your own thing, which is the only way you said you'd get back in the full-time kitchen. This is scary. Like building a business that has such historically low margins. And now you're talking about investing in benefits and culture and education, uh, in, actually having humanity in HR within restaurants. Imagine that. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective. I, mean, I know you've thought about it. How, how are you thinking about it? What are some of the challenges you're facing? I'd, I'd love to hear from you if, if maybe there's some things we can glean from, from your potential process that you're coming into. Yeah. So the purpose of starting Our Time Kitchen was because um, share kitchens are incredibly expensive. And small businesses were having a hard time really just having equity in their own businesses. So our business model is hourly versus normal share kitchens or incubator kitchens, whatever you call it, um, kind of hit you over the head with like a six month or whatever commitment. And sometimes that's just way too much for a business that's just starting out. And, and just especially for women businesses trying to get the capital to get their own business started is so hard. So even my partner and I are coming up with these challenges for raising the capital for our building. So we did get approved for a loan, which was, if we didn't have the building, which we got from my partner and she, she says, Hey cat, I got this like generational wealth, you know, me being a white woman, I can tap into my family to, to get this building for us. So they bought the building for us. So that was the collateral for us to get um, our building, the, the renovation loan. And people I know are definitely not in those kind of positions that we are. So we're completely lucky in that aspect of it. But people are just not making enough money to be paying these commercial kitchen fees. They're too high. So we're setting it up in an hourly rate. Um and just having several different ways in the building that people can, can make money. And I know in um, those incubator kitchens, um, people can't sell their product out of there. You got to kind of got to make it and either go to a farmer's market or you're probably cooking up a food truck or something like that. But we are going to have like a to-go window so people can actually make money while they're in this space as well. Um, so, yeah, that's been a big thing, just getting getting – funding from banks like they gave us the bare minimum that they could we wanted more money because access is completely important to us we want to be able to have an elevator we want to be able to have wheelchair ramps and things like that and that's kind of where we're where we're getting caught up right now financially and it's one of the motives that you have for developing your business this way so that you can create the accessibility that lower barrier of entry and hopefully be able to have these these incubator concepts be able to have the money to pay their people better better to be able to create a sustainable model is that it seems like that's foundational absolutely we don't want to be hitting people over the head and eating into their profits not at all so that they can take care of their staff and just being being able to truly profit off of their business yeah we need to find new models to be able to shift that uh in there earlier. I don't know if Andrew's still here. Andrew Parr on our team is is actually changing the fundamental structure of a PL and a budget. And one of the reasons that we're doing that is because 
we don't know how much we're investing in people within the, the structure, the historical structure of the way that we even organize the line items in a budget. And we also don't understand the value of creating longevity, right? So when we have, I mean, now the numbers are like 130% turnover rate, but historically averaged out about 72% turnover rate. And if you're able to create a financial situation that allows a physical and mental situation that allows longevity, the numbers are incredible to see the impact that it has on check average, on frequency of visits, on food waste, all of these things that are those sometimes loss leaders columns, you start to invest differently in those. You start to see those numbers go up and nobody's ever correlated those numbers because we just think people are just bodies and hands and we can just churn through them. And that clearly has been exposed. So I can appreciate that. Uh, financial, and you mentioned having uh, benefits, Mercedes. I'd love to just point out some of the benefits that need to become matter of fact like we say benefits and they don't actually mean anything we're like, what does that mean having insurance okay well we'll pay half of your insurance well what does that mean what is the dollar amounts i'm, I'm interested in what kind of packages you all had that we might say this needs to become a, a minimum standard anything you can help us out with there you know i think there are so many different plans and and good insurance companies out there that are willing to work, but that's not on their forefront, right? You guys talk a lot about the high deductible plans. So, you know, I know people who have these high deductible plans, you're never going to meet, younger people are never going to meet, and I say younger as myself as 50. Um, if you are a somewhat healthy person, you're never going to meet a $5,000 deductible, or hopefully you're not going to meet it within that year if there's nothing tragic that goes on. You know, my company values us so much for our for our work and our work-life balance. I don't pay at all for insurance. And we have a very good plan. But they work with a small insurance company that's local to the area that was able to provide this kind of insurance for us. Um, I think what we don't do is look hard enough, research things hard enough, and push hard enough against the insurance companies to formulate a plan that is best for your business, right? And that is possible, but you need time and you need resources and you need somebody who understands the insurance business and can take that time to go out and do that. Um, I heard mentioned here about that deductible, like how could I pay for not only having a high deductible plan or even a somewhat high deductible plan and still pay for the insurance weekly for me, myself, my family, and then not work 100 hours a week to pay for all of those things, you're never going to access any of those benefits. So there has to be some fundamental change and push to have small businesses and even larger restaurant chains to work together with those. And I believe that that can be done um, with education on both fronts. I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in, Anne, and say, like, I feel like we should go a step further. There are 500,000 small independent restaurants around the country and 14 million restaurant workers. Imagine if all of us said we demand universal health care. Absolutely. Who can stop us? No one could stop us, you know? 
uh, it's just like the only the, the way the system is the way it is is because we've just allowed it to may, be that way because we've allowed these large pharma companies these large insurance companies take hold of what is rightfully ours healthcare is a human right and we need to consider it that way we need to figure out a way to make it work for all of us not just the well the one percent of us oh absolutely i agree wholeheartedly and i think once you educate people on what their value is worth if they can't identify their own value, right? You talk about that 14 million workers, how could they have not think that they have strength in numbers? And, you know, there used to be a saying for nurses, you know, that we eat our young and we always were at odds with different hospitals, with different programs, with different jobs. And once we started to have that culture change um, and we organized ourselves, then we were able to push the hospital system to change its ways. And that's a, a large feat because it was a lot of us and it wasn't union and those are things that happen within that. But I think there are things that you can take from that in order to help move that forward. Now I'm gonna make sure and, and share uh, several different uh, resources and, and even some studies on, on the insurance industry. Because one of the things that's happening right now with restaurants is restaurants, again, they're just, they're just reactionary because in restaurants, unfortunately, we're so reactionary. Very, very seldom are we proactive in much of anything, let alone something like investing in people. Imagine that. And so what's happening is saying, I need insurance. And they're getting these, just these really, really bad plans that have these high deductibles that check the box of, yes, we do have insurance that don't actually support the physical health of, of workers. They say, I have insurance, but nobody's ever going to use it. Actually, I see Terrell White, a uh, good friend of, uh, of Best Served here, told a story when we had him on the show talking about how he had insurance, but was petrified to use it. I think there was a get hit by a car, like broken leg or his knee was the size of a watermelon and still was trying to go to work because we're so scared, one, of paying that deductible because we don't have the money and two, because, well, am I going to lose my job if I don't show up to work because I'm physically unable to yet? Hey, I have insurance. I have benefits. So I've checked that box and you definitely see some predatory practices from within the insurance company preying on the fact that the restaurant industry does not understand the insurance models as a whole. So we'll share some information links on the, again, the best podcast recording of this, because I think that's going to be fundamentally important. Uh, Mercedes, you mentioned the hotel, anything to add to that? Otherwise I do want to spend some time on mental health. And, and if anybody does have uh, questions in the audience, I want to make sure and, and address some of those, but uh, anything else for uh, kind of financial again, can't separate these, but I wanted to give some time to each of these three kind of sections of, uh, of topics. Yeah, sure. I'll share. As um, someone in a union for, what, 17 years, um, we were fortunate enough to have really good health insurance. And during the pandemic, they covered us until January of this year and then helped people get on the plans that Elle was talking about, um, being able to get um, health care, um, different options based on what your need was for your families. But as someone with two daughters, I was really grateful to have been in a union job when my daughters were born and they were able to cover those things. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, it was scary. Um, to I was working at a 
hotel that was union and I had to fight for, I had to advocate for myself to get insurance. And um, I almost had to like resign in order to get insurance because I, when I presented my resignation, the chef didn't want me to leave. And he's like, how can I keep you? And I was like, I need health insurance. And he fought for me to get benefits. But um, I understand that perspective of like being scared to go to the doctor when you don't know what the bill will look like. You don't know at the end of the day what you're going to be paying Um, because there is no transparency in like you might think it's a certain amount, but then they add on other things. I've looked at the bills like for um, when I had my daughters and I was just shocked about how they, you know, I didn't pay it. It was it said it wasn't a bill. It was just like explaining what you're paying for, but it's like ridiculously expensive. And I understand that fear of going to the doctors. I'm done. Mercedes, do you see unionization being something that, I mean, we hear it talked about. There's, there's obviously some segments, hotels everywhere in Vegas being some, uh, hearing a lot of buzz around that from independent restaurants as well. Is that something that you think needs to happen? Obviously, you you saw the benefits of it. Um, I definitely saw the benefits of it and us getting paid very well in New York City, but also the cost of living is very high in New York City. So um, I think a union is great as long as it serves its purposes. Like there's this mentality that goes with it that isn't the best, but if we can change the culture a bit, then I think unions can work. But uh, and I've definitely benefited from it, but um, there also has to be like a bit of change of culture of what is thought to be a union worker. Yeah, completely understand that. Uh, all right, L, you want to uh, set the table a little bit for us, kind of on on mental health aspect of this conversation. We've touched on a little bit, but I want to give it some more time here, and then definitely open up a little bit of hand raising and, and hear from the audience before we wrap. Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, So as somebody who grew up in the industry, my first job scooping ice cream, I'll still say until I'm blue in the face, hardest job I've ever had in my entire life. Um, It really, you know, inhibited me moving through my teens and my 20s to process feelings and emotions and how I felt within my own body and in my own brain um, that development, I think inhibited working in the restaurant industry inhibited that, that development that others who didn't grow up in the industry, um, had quote unquote, the luxury to be able to explore coming into their own. So, you know, we, we've all had the really toxic work environments or the leave your emotions at the door or, you know, Jensen says this all the time. You're only as good as the next plate that you put up. Um, feeling as though you are just built to labor and service folks to be able to keep a roof overhead and food on the table. Um, I always had a restaurant job in college. And while I am definitely in a position that I've had a very charmed career, I look back on some moments which should have just been so exuberant with, you know, gratefulness and so exciting for me, but we're also like pretty dark because we talk a lot about mental health right now, specifically, um, of, you know, generational trauma. And I feel as though 
my I'm 37. So folks who are around my age came up in the industry where it was totally okay to throw pans and scream and make people cry and put them in the walk in or tell them to walk off the line and um, was very volatile. And we're now shifting into this, you know, this new fostering education and we're trying to create safe spaces. Um, And so talking about mental health is not as much as a taboo as it once was. And um, I think Mercedes had used the quote earlier, meeting people where they are, I think is very important as we future build what the hospitality industry is going to look forward. So one of our Halo orgs, one of our partners, the Chad Project in Chicago, we built a three-month workshop series called Getting Out of the Weeds, which are tips and tools to sort of unlearn and protect your physical, financial, and mental health and create boundaries about preserving your own energy, which are fantastic. They're an amazing resource, um, but they're just the start. So we sort of look at these workshops um, as herd immunity. The more people that go through the program, the the easier it's going to be for us to shift the culture. They're extremely low cost. Um, if uh, there's, you know, a line cook or a bar back that is listening to this podcast that like literally doesn't know how they're going to pay their cell phone bill next month and wants to go through the workshops, reach out and we'll send you a comp code. The more people that go through them, um, the more impactful they're going to be in creating a different culture. So that that's where we and in the weeds are focusing our mental health um, initiative is, is like that ground level of giving them the agency and the tools that aren't necessarily being taught. But I think what Hassel is doing and like actually creating data and partnering with um, organizations that have funding to get all of, to collect that data for us to look at a very academic standpoint um, is going to be the only way that we're going to be able to create a path forward to be able to not only rectify the trauma that was, has been endured, but how to prevent it moving forward. Ellen, I'll, I'll take what you said even further. I appreciate you, you shouting out directly to those listening, saying, yes, I, I need something. I want to do something. I just don't know where to start. I don't have the money. Uh, they are very affordable. Uh, we talked about it with Chad when we had Reagan and Molly on. We'll take it even further because we also work through the 866 Challenge as a Halo org within the weeds to be able to pay $86 to a writer to, to just speak their truth. And when I say a writer, I mean anybody. Terrell's written two, two articles. Uh, other people who have been in the room have, have written articles as well. We just need to shift who the gatekeepers are to be able to tell your story. Because if we have an outlet to speak our truth, to put our truth to paper, well, that is the type of outlet that we need to support our mental health. Uh, and we pay $86, which unfortunately is more then food media sometimes gets paid to put together just another listicle and another listicle and another listicle to actually tell meaningful stories. So you write a story about you struggling with anything or you finding joy in anything around food or cooking with grandma, we will publish that because your story matters. We will pay you $86. L's team will write a check, send it to your door, and then please invest that money into some of the programs that the, the panel up here has, that In the Weeds has, that Chad has, that Not 9 to 5 Org has. This is how we're going to shift support. One person, one story, 
one interaction at a time. So I just wanted to throw that out there. We will have links. You know what, Jensen? I'm gonna I'm gonna double that. I'm gonna double down on our industry and our talent and our voices. If you write an article for the 86, 86, 86 challenge, you can keep your $86 and I will send you a comp code and you can come to getting out of the weeds for free. Add benefit. Write the article. Tell your story. We'll send you 86 bucks. Take yourself out for a steak dinner. Pay your cell phone bill. Put gas in your gas tank. Get your T-Pass or Metro Pass or whatever the pass is called in the city that you live in. And we will send you a comp code and you will additionally be able to come to the getting out of the weeds workshops let's go all right now we're gonna throw this type of gauntlet down uh, again and again we're we're finding ways to bring stories and bring meaningful interaction uh, i love it uh Hassel, uh take it over you've got a lot to talk about on the topic a lot of work meant and l mentioned that and alluded to that i'd love make sure and, and touch on some of the specific learning programs that an individual a restaurant can take because we want to make sure that this is uh, action oriented we are at the hour uh this is really great i want to let it go just a little bit longer uh, i do want to be respectful of everyone's time but hassel mental health aspect this is this is your world and uh we uh, appreciate all the work that you do <laughs> thank you judson i appreciate that um yeah so i think not nine to fives strength you know this year has definitely part of it has been research and data we've been collecting research and data um even before this year so in 2019 was when i first started to think about okay i've been experiencing this what about others you know i think not nine to five was founded in instinct but now we're cemented in data and never did i imagine to actually get exactly the results i was expecting so i um we put out a survey, we had hundreds of people from all over North America fill it out. And in 2019, it was the first time I actually saw the numbers in front of me. And when asked, do you live, work with mental health and or substance use challenges? And I mean, I use the words substance use challenges. Um, others use the words addiction. Others use the word substance use disorder. Others use substance abuse or substance dependency. I'm just covering that because language is important. And for some people, certain terms are triggering. I'm going to refer to substance use challenges for now. But when asked, do you live, work with mental health and or substance use challenges? 90% um, of the hospitality industry said yes. So it was an epidemic before the pandemic. We've been struggling with our mental health in this industry for longer than we haven't. And there are more of us that have these struggles and have these experiences. And that can be from just, you know, mental health challenges in terms of certain environmental impact or situational experiences, or that can be diagnosed mental illness, or that can be, like I said, um, substance use challenges and or addiction. It, it really varies. All of these things manifest differently in everyone. One thing that I've come to realize in speaking to other industries as well, so I love knowing that we have someone from healthcare here. Um, I also have spoken a lot to those that have worked in the military and there's a lot of similarities because we're both built on the brigade system. And, the, and once I understood the impact and the harm of the brigade system, it also started to make sense to me as to why so many of us have these experiences. Um, the brigade system is efficient and is focused around efficiency, which is important in terms of productivity. But 
it's not really um, providing psychological safety for folks. And so what that what what ends up happening is if you work in this industry for year after year, decade after decade, and you're working in environments that lack psychological safety, there's going to be harm caused in one way or another. And that will manifest differently depending on who you are. Psychological safety, if you know someone's listening and they're not really sure of what that term means, well, in the same way that we have, you know, physical safety um, concerns and we have, you know, so many programs that we have to taken culinary school or when you first started a workplace that you have to know about certain toxic, you know, in the space. Um, psychological safety refers to the environment that you work in and whether or not it is providing you with, you know, the ability to take risks, to make mistakes, to give and receive feedback, um, to be vulnerable with one another without any negative consequence to how you're perceived or if you're speaking about a workplace in particular or whether or not you're gonna lose your job. And unfortunately in this industry, we lack psychological safety for the most part. And that's just so, so, so dangerous um, because you're putting people in unsafe environments. I personally don't believe and don't like the term quote unquote labor shortage. I don't really think that's what's actually happening. I think this has been brewing for decades and I think it's a huge, huge, huge disservice. And I find it almost like disrespectful to call it a labor shortage. What it is, it's a shortage of work environments that offer physical and psychological safety. That's what it is. And it's also, unfortunately, a lack of work environments that aren't exploiting people um, and then abandoning folks without support or resources. You know, uh, so I, I have a really hard time with that term. Um, because I don't think it actually accurately tells the story that's been building for, like I said, decades, if not centuries. Um, also, the historical story of our industry, hospitality in general, is very problematic and it's built on systems of oppression. Um, you know, one perfect example is tipping. It's a legacy to slavery or a time of enslavement. And it still exists and it causes a lot of problems in terms of performance anxiety and in terms of inconsistency of knowing what your financial health is going to be for the next couple of weeks of months. Um, all of these things contribute to a lack of psychological safety and all of these things contribute to obviously um, this industry also is the third worst for workplace mental health. And that's in uh, that's American data. Number one is mining. Number two is construction. And number three is food and beverage service. We're the third worst for workplace mental health from a couple years ago. Now, I would argue it's likely worse. Um, and although there are things being given like benefits and stuff, I, I did want to add one thing there in terms of benefits, especially employee assistance programs. There's a lot of workplaces that will offer you a connection to an employee assistance program, often referred to as an EAP. The problem with these, this program, these programs are great when used. Basically, an EAP connects you to, you know, different support and resources related to either your job performance, health and mental, emotional well-being, or can also connect you to other legal and financial support systems. But what I've found in my research is that our industry is one of the worst in terms of actually using these benefits. So oftentimes, although you're offered these benefits, the actual usage of them is quite low. So when I've talked to other office work environments and how often those benefits get used, it can often be like 10 or 11 percent. 
that's quoted from a couple different insurance companies across North America. In our industry, what I've heard is from, and this is from small and large restaurant hospitality groups, the usage of the EAP is in three to 4%. So even though it's being offered and even though you have access to an EAP, no one's actually using these benefits. And so they're just sitting there. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that is the culture. A lot of that is that it's not normalized. A lot of that goes to the fact that leaders aren't using these benefits. Leaders aren't speaking about using these benefits. These conversations are not normalized. Um, and so what happens is that folks feel like even though they technically have access, they're not going to use them. Um, because it's not normalized to use them and it's not normalized to ask to use them. Um, and even though, again, not that you have to ask to use them, but even if you aren't hearing your leadership team, your manager, your owner operator, your boss, whoever it is that's around you um, not use these services, then it still becomes like a foreign concept. And like you said, Jensen earlier, <laughs> these idea of benefits is still very new to our industry. But, you know, mental health um, challenges account for 30 to 40 percent of short term disability claims. So this isn't like, again, these aren't small numbers. This isn't like a small percentage of folks that are struggling or claims that are being done. Um, and there's so much to be said to prevention. You know, there's so much to be said for education. Um, and I, so that's something that I'm really passionate about. Not Into Five has been building educational resources and courses. And now in the next two months in November, we're going to be launching a certification program. And it's all been influenced and based on mental health first aid. I took that a couple years ago and it was powerful, but I found it way too academic, way too clinical, way too expensive. It took two full days out of my work week. Um, and so that's just not realistic for obviously hospitality and food service workers. So I took that and I've worked with mental health professionals, education specialists, industry leaders, um, a variety of different people and created a program that is in more everyday language and it addresses how to develop skills for mental health and substance use support. So how to develop those support skills, how to hold, learn how to active listen, learn what psychological safety is, learn um, how to hold space for emotional experiences. And I think that, you know, incorporating this kind of education into culinary schools, hospitality schools, but also even onboarding training programs for when you start out somewhere um, will ultimately make a huge difference. Our research from this year that we did, it's 2021 data, our report isn't out yet, we're still building it. I now understand also why hospitality and food service doesn't have a lot of research and data is because number one, it's very expensive to create this. Uh, thankfully, we got federal funding, so it worked out for us. But man, did we spend a lot of money on that. And number two is it's very complex and complicated process to go through research and data and, you know, find a way to also summarize the findings um, that isn't complex so that it's easy to understand. So one of the biggest data points that I walked away with, or I guess I should say, key insights that I walked away with. It's not actually, it's based on data, but it was an insight that came out of the data was that 
Workplaces that avoid discussion of mental health are more prone to absenteeism, internal conflicts, and attrition. So this turnover rate that, you know, Jensen, you were talking about that used to be around 70 or so percent, which now is like closer to 100, 130 percent. Um, a big part of that is because of the lack of the negligence of workplace mental health. And so I think when we want to talk about the ROI, you know, the return on investment of workplace mental health, that has also been studied. And there's so much data around that. It's one of those things that so many other industries understand the ROI of workplace mental health and our industry just unfortunately hasn't caught up yet. This we are not inventing the wheel here that, you know, we just really need to kind of catch up to where a lot of other industries already have been for a really long time um, and focus on, you know, the sustainable and ethical treatment of the people that grow, produce, create, serve and work with the food we consume. Because for too long, we've been focused on the sustainable and ethical treatment of ingredients. And I think that that shift really needs to move towards the humans. Um, like you've already said, Jensen, people are the biggest asset of any company. And any investor will tell you, you don't deplete your assets, you invest into them. So to see that ROI, you would need to invest in workplace mental health. And that needs to become a line item on the budget. We are building that budget, Hassel. Yeah. You can count on me. us for that. It's the only asset within a restaurant that will never depreciate. Every piece of equipment, every structure will always depreciate in value. Every dollar that you invest in a person will only improve that person's capacity for whatever. And that betterment of the individual and the team will always appreciate in value. It's the only asset. And that's the mindset shift that we need. And so... Uh, I'll make sure there's a Deloitte study that talks very specifically. Mm -hmm. I know you and I have talked about that before, about the investment in mental health. Also, we'll make sure there's going to be a lot of links, people, in this uh, podcast episode. And again, over on Anchor or wherever you get podcasts, check out Best Served Podcast, and you'll get links to all these resources uh, for sure. So uh, we are pretty much out of time. I do want to take a moment. If anybody in the audience has anything to add or anything to ask, please, please, while you have us here, uh, let's take a moment there. I also do want to go around the, the table, so to speak, and, uh, and just make sure, tell us the best place to find you, connect with you, the thing you want the website that you want them to go to to find out the program that you're most uh, passionate about. So want to uh, go around and, and have everyone touch on that. And then, L, please, I'll give you give you last words on this. Thanks for kind of bringing everyone together. Uh, Kat, go ahead and jump in. What's the best place to find you? Connect with well, you. Be well, before I was going to say that, what I was going to do is I wanted to give a shout-out to you in the room. She's a part of my organization, Just Call Me Chef, and she has a nonprofit called cook's creed and hopefully she can say a little bit about that that is definitely touching on mental health for hospitality professionals but you can find me on instagram at naturally chef cat and tummychef.co also our time kitchen on all platforms thanks so much guys thank you mercedes what are you working on best place to get connect thank you jensen um be reached on all platforms that eating empowered with Mercedes. I think for um, Instagram, it's eating empowered dot Mercedes, but my website is eating empowered with Mercedes. And I am launching a group coaching program to support those that need help. 
during this time of transition um, next month. So I'm looking forward to having a group coaching program where we work on a smart health goal and I hope to support as many people as possible. So thank you for letting me share, Jensen. Absolutely. And what's, uh, what are you working on right now that we can connect with you on? Well, obviously you can connect with me on In the Weeds with Elle. Um, and I am constantly in contact with her about things. But I do just want to say that being the outsider from not inside the hospitality this was so insightful for me. And as um, in the weeds, we help in in November when we have our board meeting to sort of plan for the next year. I hope that we can really foster a relationship to some people outside of this industry too, because I think that's insightful for everyone to see, to ask for help from outside. And that's not something that's very normal for everyone to do. So thank you for in, including me today. Yes, if we can learn from you and other industries on how to be true professionals and build models that are equitable, profitable, sustainable, then we can bring some of the hospitality and maybe some of that fun and the cool and the swagger that you know I alluded to earlier, we'll bring that to other industries uh, and we can find a little bit of a balance in the ecosystem of what it means to be a part of any given community. Truly believe in that, absolutely. Uh, Hassel, just... Uh, uh, the program, we're going to link that up in November. Uh, drop all the places that we can connect with you as well. Of course. Um, visit us online, www.not9to5.org. Not9to5.org. Um, that is the best place online. There is currently our initial course that we built last year, Primary Concerns. Um, you're able to link to it for free until November. So if anyone's interested in going through a course that, you know, gives you that kind of basic foundation of developing those mental health and substance use support skills, I highly recommend going through that course. But like I said, in November, we'll be launching a much more thorough program. Um, Instagram at not nine to five underscore. And those are the best two places to reach at me. And thanks for having me. Thank you, Hassel. Uh, L. Best place to connect with in the weeds. And then please, you brought us together here. Uh, parting thoughts before we uh, wrap this room here in a minute. Sure. Yeah. Wow. What a conversation. Um, there's so much work to be done. So Jeannie did have to hop off. You can find Jeannie at Ray's High Road on Instagram and the work that they're doing there. You can find us at intheweeds.us or www.intheweeds.us. There's a lot more resources there. Um, and I just want to say thank you, everybody, for showing up today. And um, again, we're all in these different silos and lanes. And the more conversations we're able to have with another, one another to close the loops. Um, Hassel, I love uh, you just taking that data and that like academic speak and breaking it down into restaurant restaurant speak because we do 100% speak a different language. Um, anybody who grew up in the restaurant industry, I was in CVS the other day and I went around the corner and I yelled corner and I haven't worked in a restaurant in probably 10 years, 15 years. Um, <laughs> it's definitely behind. a different language. That's hilarious. Behind, <laughs> behind, you, behind you hot. Um, Hands. Hands, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, in this little sleepy seaside town, I'm yelling corner in the CVS, and everyone's like, what's wrong with her? And it's like, actually, there's nothing wrong with me, right? So that is another conversation that I think that we can 
we can have in the future and bring to the forefront is, you know, when we're talking about physical health, when we're talking about mental health, when we're talking about financial health in this industry, we all have sacrificed going to family functions and weddings and baby showers because we're too tired or we're hungover or we can't afford it. And the narrative is what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? There's nothing wrong with us. We are just exhausted by it all. And how do we build a life within the confines of hospitality while being hospitable to ourselves and one another. And so having these conversations have been so powerful for me um, through the work of In the Weeds and all the conversations we're having about heritage and the heritage dinner and healing from your generational trauma and all of it um, has been extremely powerful. And I, I, I am so humbled for the people that keep showing up to have these conversations from a very educated and adult, excuse me, adult point of view, because we actually are right now the humans that we needed when we were younger. Um, So thank you all for being here tonight. Amazing. Great way to end. Uh, If you're listening to this on the podcast, get over to Clubhouse and uh, make sure you're a part of these conversations in real time. It definitely, it feels different. There's listening to this in a recording is amazing. Being a part of the conversation, being able to contribute if that's what you feel like you want to do. Uh, So many people that are on this stage now have come from us interacting in other spaces and then finding each other here. So please become a part of this. And uh, thanks to Mercedes Cecil and Kat L. Jeannie, everybody who, uh, who tuned in, truly grateful and uh, appreciate you all. Have a great rest of your day. We'll end there. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.